Alright, so we're in Genesis chapter 3, and notice in verse 1 it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had, God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, so a few things that we need to understand right away as we go through Genesis chapter 3 is, one, we don't know how much time took place from the creation to the fall. The Bible doesn't tell us. And, you know, some people need to learn that there are some things that the Bible just does not tell us. And therefore, don't try to give the answer to it. And in the book of Genesis, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it again, there is so much weird stuff preached from the book of Genesis. Because it's easy to just insert your own facts when it comes to the stories that we see in here because so little is said about, you know, the life of Adam and Eve. You know, so... We know Adam lived 930 years. What he did during his life, we have hardly any idea. So if I want to go and say that he built a pyramid, well, you can't prove that he didn't. Yeah, but I can't prove that he did. So should I be teaching that? Yeah, no, I shouldn't teach that. But yet, I think it was uh, Larkin, Clarence Larkin teaches that it was either Adam or Seth that built the Great Pyramid. Okay, he said, now what, what gives him the right to say it? Because... He wrote the greatest book on dispensationalism ever. That was what he called his book, Dispensational Truth. And isn't it interesting that the people who preach the weirdest stuff about Genesis are always dispensationalists? You know why? Because everything brings forth after his own kind. And Clarence Larkin was a weirdo, and therefore he taught weird doctrines. And something that I, uh, we were talking before church, something that I'm planning on doing with the book of Genesis there's so much weird stuff preached on in Genesis that I would like to debunk, but I, there's, there's so much stuff that Genesis actually teaches that I need to teach. So what I'm planning on doing for the rest of these, I want to focus on what Genesis teaches while I'm preaching on Wednesday nights, but then what I'm going to do, I'm going to make separate videos debunking all the weird teachings. That way I don't have to wait. You know, I don't want to waste all our time talking about just nut job stupidity, you know, debunking that. Let's let's spend Wednesday nights showing what Genesis actually teaches. We'll, and we'll cover some of these things too, but I'm going to do these other things separate for you to watch because otherwise we'd spend weeks on some of these chapters, and I don't want to do that. We were, we're going to do one chapter a week. So, you know, but remember, if the Bible doesn't tell us something, we don't get to insert our own facts. That's wrong. Because what ends up happening is people get married to a weird doctrine that they came up with because they inserted their own facts. I want to believe Adam built the pyramid. You know, I want to believe that, you know, Cain built Stonehenge. I, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, if I just want to believe that type of thing, then I'm going to go and I'm going to twist other scriptures to help that out. And that's wrong. We have no right to do that. And, you know, the Bible does not tell us, too, in this right here, that all the animals could talk before the fall. I've heard people say that. So we don't get to assume anything like that. Okay. Now, yes, I don't see Eve saying, what are you doing talking, serpent? I mean, because that's what most of us would say, right? I, you know, honestly, you know, we don't just get to start assuming things based on this one story. I mean, I personally think that Satan uh, just possessed the serpent because it was a subtle beast. I think he wanted to get in there. I think he wanted to get in there past Adam. So... He sneaks in there as a serpent, 
so he could get at the woman and deceive. That, that's my opinion. But we don't get to start teaching, you know, that before the fall, all men were like Dr. Doolittle and could, you know, communicate with all animals, but then they lost that ability. You know, no, stop doing that. Stop trying to connect the Bible to every fairy tale, okay? We're not dispensationalists here. We don't do that. We're Bible believers and not like Ruckmanite Bible believers. They like to call themselves that, but they are dispensational believers is what they are. They don't believe the Word of God. So, you know, how, and how do we know this serpent was Satan, too? Because the Bible does not specifically tell us here that this was the devil, that this was Satan. But I do think that there's evidence in the Scriptures that points to this being Satan. First off, in Revelation chapter 20, in verse 1, it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So I think it referred to him as that old serpent because God's dealing with sin here. He's taking care of all these things and he's taking care at this time of the guy who started it all. And for a thousand years, Satan is going to be locked up. And I think, I think that that is evidence that the serpent was in fact Satan. Also, Ex, or not Exodus, uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28. Turn over there. Because this is another thing too. People uh, use, and I'm probably going to do a video um, fully debunking the gap theory. I didn't, you know, I got criticized by people who got triggered by some of the clips for, you know, not covering all these other scriptures. That's because I wasn't doing a whole message debunking gap theory. I was teaching on Genesis chapter 1. And seeing as there is nothing in Genesis chapter 1 that teaches a gap theory, I wasn't going to spend a ton of time on it. But for these clowns, I'm going to go and I'm going to, on a separate video, address all their verses. But this is one of the, they use faulty logic and they'll just say, well, you know, when we read Genesis 3, we know, you know, this was like on the first days after creation that this happened. Well, actually, we don't know that. We don't know how much time passed. We have no idea. We can only speculate. So, you know, that's bad logic there. But at the same time, you know, they, they think that there had to have been this long period of time between the creation and when man fell. But here's the thing. In those six days, God created the heaven, the sky, you know, the universe, the earth, and everything that's in there. Heaven itself, the third heaven, could have been, you know, it was, that's eternal. That was before time. So the truth is, Lucifer, you know, was around probably before creation. So, um, and right here in Exodus, so when did Lucifer fall? That's a big question. That's what people think. That was between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. Well, I personally think Lucifer probably fell because we know from Isaiah that he was lifted up with pride. He said, "I, you know, I will ascend to the... Yeah, I, I'm not going to be able to quote all, but he said, I will be like the Most High. He wanted the place of Jesus Christ, but notice that God ends up making man later. And I believe Satan probably found out what God's plan for man was. And isn't it true that one of these days we're going to sit with him on his throne? Isn't it true that one of these days we're, when we see him, we're going to be like him? So isn't it not very possible that Lucifer, who's full of pride, got jealous of man? Now, that's what I personally think happened. He sees man come along 
and thinking these are the people that are going to outrank me one of these days. The Bible says someday that we're going to judge angels. Satan sees the man who's formed from the dust and he's thinking, I don't like it that they're going to outrank me someday. So what does he do? He comes along and he gets man to fall. And you know what? What's amazing about that? We fell and yet we're still going to outrank him one of these days. Thanks to the redemption process that Jesus Christ did for us. That's an amazing thing right there. And that's why Satan hates us so much. That's why Satan wants to take as many of us to hell as he possibly can. He hates it, the fact that we are all going to be above him. He, ha he hates that about us. But it says in Ezekiel 28, verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mount of God, mountain of God. Thou wast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, notice all these. What is the midst of the stones of fire? I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't get to make up a doctrine about it either, do I? But, you know, Satan knows. You know, the devil knows because he was there. He got to do all these things. It says, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth, in the sight of all them that behold thee. And they shall know thee among the people, and shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be anymore. So notice here when it's talking about the fall of Satan and mostly what's coming for him, it mentions how you know he had been in Eden. And I personally think that that, that could be, and I'm only speculating. If they could speculate, I can speculate. You know, that that was probably, you know, when he fell. After he went in Eden and he caused man to fall. And I think when the Bible's talking about this, it's addressing why he did what he did and why he fell. He was lifted up with pride. He hated man. And so I, that's my personal opinion on the matter, okay? But at the same time, it could have been sometime after day six. It could have even happened sometime in eternity. You know, I, I don't know, but I don't get to insert the gap theory and talk about a pre-Adamic race and use that to explain the pyramids and Stonehenge and all, all these weird things. I don't get to do anything like that. That That is wrong. That is inappropriate. And so... You know, did Satan fall before this event that we read about in Genesis 3? Or is this when iniquity was found in him? We don't know for sure. Therefore, we're not going to get dogmatic and form some weird doctrine with the story. And then refer to it as like the gap fact. That, that is wrong. And it shows you have no integrity. And that the Bible is not the basis and the final authority for what you teach. Especially when there's things about that that... Uh, contradict. So Satan 
said, I, I think he probably took the form of a serpent because he is a spirit and he wanted to use a creature that was subtle. And so he used a serpent. So it says in verse 2, back to Genesis chapter 3, it says, The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of every uh, eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but uh, of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So remember, Satan said in verse 1, you know, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He's saying that in a question. You know, did God really say you're not allowed to eat of any of the trees of the garden? Now, and notice Eve corrects him. He didn't say we can't eat any of them. He just said there's one that we can't eat. And isn't it interesting, interesting the way Satan works? He kind of works like a teenager here. You know, the teenager's parents give them one rule, you know, and then they're like, they now refer to their home as Alcatraz or something like that. You know, you tell you tell your kids, you know, don't eat that cake that's in the refrigerator. Mom said we're not allowed to eat anything. Mom said she's going to, mom's trying to starve us to death. You know, they always exaggerate. You know what that's called? It's just called being rebellious. And that's what everybody does. You know, some church has some kind of, you know, strict rule. Oh, you know, the women in the church, you know, they're, you know, they're, or the, you know, they teach dress standards. They teach women how to dress like women. They want all the women in their church to wear burkas. No, we don't. You know, they make them wear, you know, they make them be covered from head to toe because they talk about wearing skirts below their knee. You know, they do exaggerations like that. Okay. Now, that's just called lying right there. That's just called, that's what people do when they're trying to deceive, when they're trying to get someone to sin. And so that's what Satan does to Eve. God tells them you can have all these trees except for one. Satan comes along. God said you can't eat of anything. Yeah. And, and Eve corrects him. Says no, it's just one tree we're not allowed to eat. And, he, and Eve said, "We should not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die." Now I don't see where God said you couldn't touch it either, which I'm not saying you should touch it. You know, do we really want to toe the line on things? But at the same time, you know, we do need to be careful about adding anything to the words of God. We do need to be careful about getting more strict than God. And that's called not turning to the right hand or to the left. When we start getting more strict than God, we find ourselves in danger of violating the Word of God too. So, you know, that's just a separate lesson right there. Don't get more strict than God. That, that's, that's a foolish thing to do. And some people do that. You know, they have declared certain standards that are higher than God's standards. And they want to, you know, condemn people of sin for doing things that's like, you know, Bible doesn't say that's a sin. Yeah, and so we don't we don't get to add to the word of God. And with a lot of these doctrines that people teach from Genesis, they're adding to the word of God. And the thing, this is one of the crazy things too, because you know I, like I've said before, I've always been fascinated by anything pre-flood, any book, any story. And I've read almost all the apocryphal books. But before I ever read any of these apocryphal books, that I'm telling you, they're they're just nonsense but interesting and as entertaining as all get out. Before I had read those things, there were many things that I had heard preachers preach, sometimes as speculation, sometimes as a fact, that you can't find it anywhere in the Bible, but you can find it in these apocryphal books. And everybody knows better than to get up and to preach from the book of Enoch or to get up behind the pulpit and preach from the book of Jasher but what do they do? They start inserting their thoughts, you know, their speculations as fact. And then you go find out that 
Turns out they didn't make this stuff up. They didn't, they're not just speculating. They got it from these books. And they do. They believe these things. And they will fight you on these things. And what's funny, I can't even find the gap theory even in an apocryphal book. Okay. That was something that was birthed in the mind of a nut job named Clarence Larkin. Okay. And I'm sure he probably stole it from another nut job, maybe Darby, I don't know. But that's just, that's out of line. So, verse 4 says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, one thing that Satan likes to do, Satan likes to mix some truth with his lies. Okay? Because did Eve die? You know, right then? When she had, no. So now, spiritually, Adam and Eve died. But physically, they didn't die that day. But they did die eventually, didn't they? So, you know, on one hand, you could say, well, he was kind of telling the truth. You know, but at the same time, too, you know, he was lying, wasn't he? And when you are misleading people, you know, when you're not giving all the facts, you know, these things are lies. And Satan likes to Satan likes to make people think that God's holding out on because he said you'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the truth is, that was true, wasn't it? They did now know good and evil, but that was bad. That was not going to be a good thing. He made it sound like this was going to be some great thing for him, and that's just how Satan works. He lies. There's always going to be some truth with the lie. Just like with a lot of these weird doctrines, they'll use some Bible with their messed up doctrine. And some of the biggest trash you will ever hear preached, I mean, it's always going to have some scripture mixed in with it. Just like Satan likes to use some of God's words, but he likes to add his own, his own little thing. He likes to take away something else. And that's why we do not add to or take away from the words of God. That's why in the very last chapter, at the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about adding to and taking away from the Scriptures. You, that is a very dangerous thing to do. I mean, that is something that will make you reprobate. You do not do that. That's why we don't mess with other versions of the Bible. That's why we're not going to bring an NIV in here. We're not going to use that stuff. We're not going to endorse that in any way. We're not going to encourage people to study from other versions of the Bible. That would be like us trying to learn... Bible from the devil. He's going to tell us some things from the scriptures, but he's going to take some things out too, and it's going to mess us up, and it's going to get us in a whole bunch of trouble. You know, we're not going to go and get a commentary on the Old Testament written by a Jew. Yeah, we might learn something. They might point out some little fact. They might tie some scriptures together that you know we never tied together that might be accurate, but they're also going to leave some things out, like the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. That's, that's a pretty big problem. So we don't listen to those people. We don't follow that kind of thing. That gets you in trouble. But what do people want to do? They want to point to the one good thing you know, that's being said. The one fact that's there. Well, they were, they're right about this. Okay, Satan's right about some things too. But you've got to watch out for these lies that he puts in there too. That guy who's the father of lies, you really want to learn from him? Do we really want to learn our Bible from anything other than the King James Bible? That's, that's very foolish. And that is dangerous. And it was that kind of thinking that plunged the entire human race into destruction. 
So we're not gonna, we're not going to use that type of logic. We're not going to we're not going to okay that kind of thing. Well, the, you know, these things the NIV is close, not close enough. Right. Satan was close, but that little bit that he missed really messed up a lot. He messed up a lot. So verse six, and the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, let me just preach another little sermon right here. Let me just give you a little sermonette within this sermon. Okay, young people, things that are sinful and destructive often look good. They often look like something to be desired. They seem pleasurable. Okay, Satan's not going to use something that looks repulsive and that looks disgusting because then you wouldn't want to do it. He uses things that look pleasurable, that look good, that look like they will bring you happiness, that look like they will bring you some kind of fulfillment and some kind of joy, but it's a trap. Okay? When you set out a trap for an animal, you put out things that look good. You put out things that they want. So they will be deceived. And then you can trap them. And with the pleasure, the, with the sins that, that are out there in the world, there are some things dangling out there that are very pleasant to the eyes that look like they would bring great joy. And you know what? I personally believe with all my heart that that fruit that Eve ate probably tasted wonderful, but wasn't worth it. And there are some pleasures out there that would give you some pleasure. It's called the pleasures of sin, but they're only a season. And I really hope Eve enjoyed that fruit, seeing that it caused the fall of man. I really hope it tasted good. I hope they at least got that. You know, I, I hope we gave her stomachache. You know, it doesn't matter. She died. Okay? She died from it. And I shouldn't talk that way about my great, 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 great grandma, but I think she's got it coming. Okay? My dad used to say, I personally think when we get to heaven, Adam and Eve are going to be hiding. <laughs> and and I, I, I think about that every time I read this story and Adam and Eve are hiding. I was like, yeah, that kind of, that kind of makes sense because they, they probably should. But, but, you know, at the same time, too, we all choose sin all the time, too, don't we? It wouldn't have been any different if we were there. So, no, and Eve, too, you know, she ate, she gave him her husband, and he did eat. Okay? Why is it that your friends who do bad stuff, always want to tell you about it? Why is it that your friends that do bad things always want to get you to do it too? You know, same reason that the devil wanted man to fall with him. Misery loves company. Sin, you know, nobody wants to just sin alone. Nobody wants to be the only one that's doing some bad thing. They want everybody else doing it with them. And that's why, and you know, I experienced this growing up. You know, I remember when I got my first job in the workplace, I was just amazed at how people love to talk about their disgusting sin. You know, my boys have experienced the same thing where they work. Perverts love to talk about their perversion. Homos love to talk about perversion. That's the way they corrupt. That's the way they recruit. That's the way they groom people. Okay? They talk about what they're doing because they want to get you doing the same thing. That's why they talk about these things. And that's why the devil talked to Eve about this. And that's why Eve immediately goes to her husband. Nobody wants to do these things by themselves. Watch out for people like that. Watch, watch out. They're recruiters. They're just like the devil. 
So, and notice verse 7. So it says, And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, this is my thoughts, okay? I'm, in, I'm asserting this is my opinion. <clears throat> I don't believe that when they ate that fruit that something necessarily super, supernatural happened. I think when they ate that fruit, they disobeyed, and they now knew what it was like to sin. That, that, that's personally what I think. All of a sudden, it kind of just opened their mind to certain things. It opened their mind to morality, and all of a sudden, you know, they they now they now understood good and evil. I don't think it was so much anything supernatural that now they were just downloaded with the Word of God and knew what was sin and what wasn't sin. You know, I, I think it was just kind of, it ended up coming natural. Now, I'm I'm way out of my league right here. I don't know about this stuff. I've heard it said that things that parents do, all right, sin, you know, certain sins and things that we do, literally affect the DNA of our offspring. That, that, that that's what I've heard. That's what I've been told. And so, if you as a parent, if you're drinking, if you're smoking, if you're doing certain, you know, many different things, that it literally does something to you physically that affects. Your child. Now, I don't know for sure that that's true, but at the same time, I do think there may be something to that, and I believe what ended up happening is, you know, I think that's part of what happened at the fall. I think when they sinned, it changed something in them, and it got passed on to their children, and their children were prone to sin, and we see Cain killed his own brother. He now, he, you know, he ended up having that sin nature. And notice people were living over 900 years during this time. And eventually, you know, it didn't happen right away, but eventually things got really bad. You know why? Because sins kept getting added. Sins kept getting added to the point that the world was just filled with violence. The thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. And God had to end up starting over and he had to end up shortening the lifespan. Because man couldn't handle that many years, and our DNA now it is it is just so corrupted, you know, and it is it is a real fight, and it is a real struggle to do right. Which I personally think it was probably you know during the, those first generations, it probably wasn't that bad in the world. I just opinion, just speculation. I don't know, but isn't it interesting too though how certain sins are hardest to commit the first time. That's why you should never take that first drink of alcohol. You know, when you've gone almost 40 years having never drank alcohol, it's not really a temptation. That's not really something I'm fighting. But, you know, once you've done it once, you know, it's not going to be as hard to do it the second time. You know, when you've been, you know, you're physically pure, you know, when you fornicate that first time, Makes it easier to do it the second time. Everybody thinks, I just want to try this one time. Wrong. If you're struggling to keep from doing that sin now, you will struggle even more if you commit that sin. When you now know the knowledge of that sin, when you now know what it's like, it, you're going to be more likely to do it again. And that is why you have got to stay pure till you're married. That is so important that you stay pure till you're married. Now, somebody who has been 
physically immoral before they are married, they are capable of being physically pure as a married person. They are capable. But you know, it's harder. It's going to be harder. And even if you're physically pure, you're capable of committing adultery later too. But it will be harder for you. That's why you never do these things the first time. Just never do it. You just need to determine, I will never take a drink of alcohol. I will never smoke that cigarette. I will never smoke that joint. I will never do these things. And it, because if you never do them the first time, it'll be, if you can't do it the second time, if you never do it the first time. And if you do it the first time, you will be highly more likely to do it the second time. That is just the way sin works. And you all know it. Any sin you've ever committed, the first time you did it, you were scared to death. And it was hard. But now, no big deal. It's easy now. That's just the way sin works. Don't do it that first time. So, you know, and little babies, you know, and they now, because of the fall, naturally do things that are sinful. You know, they just, it's in their DNA. It's in their genetics. But, you know, they are in a state of innocence until they understand the knowledge of good and evil. And that's why I believe babies go to heaven when they die. Um, look, turn over to Deuteronomy. Um, lost my spot. Deuteronomy chapter 1. 1 and verse 39. It says, Moreover, your little ones, which he said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither. And unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. This is when God's saying that generation that didn't trust in Him, that didn't believe God could uh, you know, defeat Jericho and all, He said, they're all going to die in the wilderness. They don't get to go in the promised land. But the children, those who did not have that knowledge of good and evil, God did not hold them accountable. And He said, they, do, they get a chance to go in the land. In Jonah, you don't have to turn there, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 11, um, God, he's explaining to Jonah why he didn't destroy Nineveh. And he said, should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, where there are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? 120,000 people, they don't even know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. Do you really want to see 120,000 innocent people destroyed? That's what God's asking Noah. And the truth is, young children, they don't know the difference yet. They're not, so they're, they're not going to be held accountable. It's when you have that knowledge of good and evil. Because Adam and Eve were already naked, weren't they? They were already naked when they were in the garden. But there was not a sin to them. They were not held accountable for it. Because they were in a state of innocence. But when they, once they had that knowledge of good and evil, now they're accountable. Now, they've got a, now they're sewing fig leaves together. And that wasn't even good enough. God ends up happen to clothe them. And we'll see that here in a little bit. So look at verse... Um, yeah, I keep losing my spot. So in uh, 8, verse 8, it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And I think that's uh, interesting. Because what does the Bible say in John? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know, they hide from that light, you know, because they don't want their deeds to be made manifest. 
And isn't it interesting how Adam and Eve, once they had sinned, their natural instinct is to hide from God. I, I, think, that, I think that's interesting right there. And it says in verse 9, The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I command thee that thou shouldst not eat? And now, does anybody think God didn't know the answer to this question? He's asking the question the same way you ask your kids sometimes when they've got chocolate all over their face. Did you get in the cookies? You know they got in the cookies. Okay. The thing is, you want them to own up to it. You want them to admit it. You know, Adam and Eve should have went running to God for mercy when this happened. And that's not what they did. They started making excuses. And it says in verse 12, And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Now this is impressive here. This is why it's in the man's DNA to blame their wives for everything too. But notice how, and, and isn't that what we do? We like to blame everybody else for our problems. Okay? You know, millennials are the champions of this, all right? Because once again, genetics, things get worse and worse. And since they're, you know, they're the latest generation, they're just horrible with blaming everybody and the whole world for all their problems. Okay? But Adam, it originated with Adam. And Adam does a pretty good job here. Not only does he blame his wife, but at the same time he blames God too. The woman that thou gavest me. You know, this was your fault, God. You know, if you hadn't given me this wife, then I wouldn't have ever even thought to eat the tree. I wasn't planning on doing it. I think that I think that's pretty interesting. And you know, there I heard a guy the other day talking about how he does not believe in God because you know, why would God create people with the capability of falling? And now, basically what that guy's saying is, I don't believe in God because God's not like me. That's what he's really saying. You know, because if I was God, I wouldn't have done that. Okay? But then the same clowns will say, you know, what kind of God doesn't give, you know, give people a free will? You know, what kind of God says if you don't get saved, you have to go to hell? So they get mad when God tells people what to do. But then when God gives people a choice, they get mad at him too. You know what the, these people's problems are? They just don't like God. And that's the case with atheists too. You know, I think probably 99% of atheists are not... Now, hear me out on this. I think probably 99% of atheists are not fools. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Yes, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. For you to actually believe in your heart that there is no God, you are a fool. You understand? If you really believe that, that there is no God, you are a fool. Right. But the atheists hate God. So they try to deny His existence. But the fact is, they hate Him. That's why they hate us so much. They hate those of us who remind them of God. And truth is, you can't hate something that does not exist. I don't hate the Easter Bunny. I don't hate Santa Claus. I don't. I don't hate Mickey Mouse. All right, they're fake. They they don't exist. Okay, so I, you know, you can't hate something that doesn't exist. But boy, they hate God. That's why they want to blaspheme all the time. That's why they hate his followers so much. That's why they want to do whatever they can to just silence 
God's people. That's why they want to do everything they can to attack the Word of God, because they hate God. They're not necessarily fools. They are just haters of God. And many of them are reprobates because they change, you know, they... When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So, you know, in professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. This is something that happened to them as a result of them rejecting God, but I do think, I do think most people, so most of these people, they're just haters of God. And now they're probably fools, because God did that to them, but you know, most people aren't foolish enough to think that there is no God. But some people are some people are really dumb. Some people are really, really dumb. And they might think, you know, I think the universe exploded and you know, everything got here from an explosion. Everything that's in this universe was in a tiny little dot at one time and it exploded and that's how everything got here. There's probably some people that really believe that. They're that stupid. We would call them fools. But most of them are just haters of God. They're they're running with evolution because it's the main thing going against God right now. If somebody comes up with something that they consider more credible about aliens, you know, just planting us here on this earth, they'll run with that. Just anything that's against God, that's that's what they want. So most, but most people, they're not they're not actually dumb enough to believe that there is no God. But the atheists, they were the haters of God. They they know that there's a God, or at least they knew that there was a God, and they got turned into a fool as a result of it. So that's why you don't want to waste your time with most of them. But anyway, um, lost my spot again. Keep keep losing losing my spot. So yeah, so you know, once again, they don't like God. They don't like what He's doing, and they blame God for everything. And they get that from Adam. That's what Adam did. <clears throat> he blamed God. And so it says in verse thirteen, and the Lord God said to the woman, "What is this that thou hast done?" And the woman said, "The serpent beguiled me." And I did eat. And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So the woman does the same thing. She turns it on the serpent. You know, the serpent beguiled me. And you know, that is true. The serpent did beguile her. She did not willfully sin. Okay? Now, women, if you want, you can now claim that women are better than men. Okay? Because Eve chose this, you know, did not choose. She was deceived. Adam did choose there, and you know, it is true. Adam gets credited for bringing death into the world, not Eve. Adam. Okay, but at the same time, you got to be consistent, and that is also why now you have to submit to man. And I didn't make this up. God did. And then every single guy, guy's favorite verse in the world, First Timothy two eleven. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Boy, don't single guys love that verse? Anytime a woman speaks. Let me just, let me just throw a sign. Is it okay if I chase a rabbit right here? You know why single guys are so obsessed with that verse? It's because they can't handle a woman with an opinion. Okay? And that's why they can't get a wife either. Okay? They, they can't handle a woman that has a will of her own. Okay? They want a robot. Is what they want. They want a Stepford wife, one that they can program into just doing and thinking whatever they want. And if they actually have to sit down and actually try to, you know, lead, they're not capable of it. 
So what do they do? They spaz out anytime a woman gives an opinion. And my wife has gotten this a billion times from on Twitter, on Facebook, any place where she's ever left an opinion, especially with Ruckmanites. Okay, Ruckmanites and single men are the worst in this. And it's always, let the women keep silence. Okay, well, Twitter's not church last time I looked. You know, Twitter is not usurp, you know, tweeting something is not usurping authority over a man. What authority, what authority does any single guy have over any woman? Unless you are her employer, okay, you have no authority over any woman, yet you own 1 Timothy 2.11. You know what? You stink. And you're weak. And women know it. And therefore, you will never get a wife. Until you become a man. Alright, so that's just just a bonus right there. But let the woman learn in silence. Eh, with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man. But to be in silence. For Adam was first born, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she should be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, charity, and holiness with sobriety. So... Notice right here, the Bible said this is why. This is why God set it up that way. This is the part of the curse. And notice what it says in verse 17. It says, And unto Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. That's why you never listen to your wife, man. Look what happened with Adam. That's a Bible verse right there to prove. You never listen to your wife. Even if she's right. I'm, I'm just kidding. But anyway, because I was hearkening the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return it in the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So God's pronounced these curses on the man and woman. And in verse 16, he pronounced the curse of the woman, saying, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So, notice how it mentions in sorrow. Now, that's referring to the pain. It's basically the pain in childbearing. And that's why in 1 Timothy 2.15, when it says, notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing, it's not talking about soul salvation right there, but it's basically saying she's going to survive it. You know why it's saying that? Because because of the curse that it's referring back to, it is a very painful thing for a woman to have a baby. It's a very painful thing. Now, let me just say this too. Okay, and I am all for if, if, if you know husbands and wives. If y'all want to have home births and things like that, I know a lot of people in this movement and all the natural stuff and doing home births. Hey, that, you have every right to do that. Okay, if that's what you want to do, I'm fine. We're, we don't do that. And we will not do that. I have no intention of ever doing that because I just don't want to. And, and my wife doesn't really want to either. And let me just say that I do think that you ought to let your wife have some say in that whole thing. And if she doesn't want to do it at home, she wants to have a hospital, you know, you know what? She's the one that is going to put her life on the line, having that baby, she is going to be the one in agony. And it does hurt her more than it hurts us. Okay, It is more painful to be in pain than to watch them be in pain. So, you know, 
let your wife have a say in that thing. Oh, I know we're we're new IFB now. I'm telling I told my wife she's got to have all her babies at home. Shut up. <laughs> let her have some say in that whole thing, you punk. Okay, she's the one that is going to be going through. And if she's bound to determine it and she wants to do that, then that's fine. But don't you make that decision. I I, I think you know that's 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 terrible. And you know what? If she takes some medication for the for the pain. You know, I read on a blog somewhere that that's not, well, it probably isn't. But you know what? Since she's the one in the pain, let her make that choice. I'm not. I'm not going to make my wife while she's laying there in agony. And my wife's never had an epidural or anything like that. But I'm not going to go ban her from having it and just that. I, I leave that up to her at that point. She's the one in pain. So take that thing into consideration. And it mentions that she should be saved in childbearing because it is. It's a dangerous thing. They could die. And that's one of the reasons I like doing it in a hospital. Because I don't always trust the midwives that are out there. You know, I, there's been some bad experiences there. there. There's a lot of things that can happen. And if I want to take advantage of the hospital and all that's there, I'm going to do it. And I think it's okay to do that. But at the end of the day, you know, you as a couple need to decide what you want to do there. And husbands, let your wife have some say in that situation. Because... She's the one doing all the work. She's got to do the hard part. Let her have a say. And that's just bonus right there, too. Because yeah, it is. It is. It's a painful thing. And I used to see that, too. It should multiply thy sorrow. And I thought maybe that's what part of the curse was, the emotions of the women and stuff like that. But I do think the sorrow is referring to the pain. But at the same time, I do think that's part of it, too. And I know, you know, my wife doesn't get emotional and doesn't have any issues like that. But I know I've heard from some of the husbands here uh, that <laughs> you get, get you all in trouble. And, and, ho- and ho- hopefully this isn't the time where you could really get in trouble for something like this. And, and I don't want to say a whole lot about that. But I do think that's part of the curse right there. And, and we get to participate. <laughs> or, or you all, some of you men get to participate in that, that part of the curse sometimes. And it's, it's just reality. Right. It's, just, it's just reality. That's why we have to take marriage vows. You know, <laughs> that's why we have to say the death do part because you know because of some of these curses, there are times when it's just like, you know, yeah, it's time to end this thing, uh, and, or sometimes you're just like, has death come yet <laughs> for me? <laughs> because I'm not ready to part. I, that's not me. All right? That's not in our marriage, but you know, in other people's marriages, uh, they have these issues sometimes. But um, I'm not going to say any more about that. Because I want to stay married. <laughs> but everybody knows what I'm talking about. Everybody, everybody knows what I'm talking about. So first, um, so back to the curse on man. You know, God cursed the ground. You're going to have to sweat. And, you know, providing for a family is not an easy thing. You know, we don't live in paradise. we got to work for there to be food. We've got to take care of the land. We've got to actually do something. And I wish... You know, I wish there was a lot of people in this town that would learn in order to provide. You got to get off your sorry, car, you know, backside, and you got to go out and do some work. Amen. And you know what? You want to talk about? You know, there. I don't believe we ought to just respect everybody. You know, everybody's like everybody deserves respect. No, they don't. You know, and let me tell you some people who don't deserve respect: men who make their wife have the double curse. You know, your wife. She's got to go through all the pain and childbearing. She's got to be in subjection to you. And then you're going to make her go out and do all the providing for your family. You're going to make your wife go work out of the factory. You're going to make your wife do the sweating too. You know, while she, she, she gets a double curse, 
while you sit on your lazy backside playing video games all day. And folks, I've seen this too with couples, they're not even married. There's women out there today who have jobs providing for a video gamer sitting at home doing nothing and getting her pregnant. I, I have worked with women who were pregnant whose boyfriends didn't have a job. Folks, people like that, have, they are not fit to live. They, those people literally should starve to death. If you don't work, you, should, you shouldn't eat. People like that should starve to death. That should be their punishment. Some deadbeat out there that's making his wife have the double curse, not taking care of his wife, not taking care of his kids, he ought to be in, thrown in prison and starved to death is what ought to happen to him. That's the one time I believe in prison. Put those people there. You've been sitting on your lazy carcass for years while your wife deals with a double curse. You're doing nothing. And give him, give him a probation period. Give him a chance to go work and provide. But if he won't do it, he gets locked up and starved to death. And so I don't like that. Well, don't elect me president. Because I'll get a pass. I'll, I'll get a pass. Right, but anyway. I'll probably get zero votes this year, but I don't care. I, I think the world would be better off if we did that. I think it would help our economy. If we stop paying tax people's tax dollars to just pathetic bums like that. I'm not talking about disabled guys. I'm not talking about some guy who's you know not physically not able. I'm talking about physically capable men who are just lazy, good for nothing. No respect. We don't need to respect people like that. I have no respect for people like that. Zero. I'm disgusted by him. So in verse 20, it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And unto Adam and also, and unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. And I believe that's a picture of salvation. God clothed them. God covered their nakedness. Why? Because man can't cover, cleanse his own, cover his own sin. Man can't do that. God had to do that. That was a picture. That's a picture of salvation right there. And notice, too, if God clothed them, he made coats of skin. You know what that means? That means an animal died. An animal died so they could be clothed. And what do you think that's a picture of right there? That's a picture of Jesus Christ. He had to die so we could be clothed spiritually. So our sins could be covered right here in the beginning, the day that man sinned. The day that man fell, what's the first thing we see? Grace. Isn't that interesting right there? Now, Clarence Larkin, the dispensationalists, like to think that we're in the age, not age of grace. No. The age of grace started immediately at the fall of man. Salvation was available immediately at the fall of man. And God did. God ended up clothing, their, clothing them. God ended up covering their sin. And it would not. Be. And so, in verse uh, 22, and the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever." It would not be a good thing for man in his sinful condition to live forever. That'd be, that would not be a good thing. And so, God said, "We got to put him out of the garden." Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, 
which turn every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So, interesting thing there. And, you know, what happened to the tree of life? What happened to the Garden of Eden? You know, what happened to the cherubims in the Garden of Eden? You know, what, you know we can all speculate on that stuff all day long. You know, but what we are not allowed to do is create doctrines from things that the Bible does not teach. And so, what are we supposed to learn from this chapter? We're supposed to learn how man fell. We're supposed to learn how death came into the world. And also, we're all immediately supposed to see a picture of salvation. And this is another example, too. The dispensationalists, they try to say, you know, death, you know, that they, the God, other gospels, uh, the gospel of the kingdom is a different gospel because it doesn't talk about the death, burial, and resurrection. But understand, these things were in a shadow. Yes, the disciples, they didn't know about the death, burial, and resurrection. But if they believed in what had been revealed at that time, they did, in fact, believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If they preached what had been revealed at that time, they were preaching the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And while the name of Jesus was not known during this time, I do believe when we see this story here of Adam and Eve accepting this clothing from God, it was, it was a picture of salvation. They believed in God. They trusted in God to cover their nakedness. They trusted in God to cover their sin. And I believe in them trusting in God and accepting them. That was them accepting Jesus Christ. That was them trusting in Jesus Christ. Yes, they didn't know his name. But, folks, do you not see how this is a perfect picture of Jesus Christ? When Jesus said, or when God said the seed of a woman is going to bruise the head of Satan... That there's no doubt that that was talking about Jesus Christ. If they believed in that, they believed in they believed in Christ. And some interesting things. We'll be showing some interesting things about that next week. And I think I skipped over uh, the part about the uh, the curse on the serpent. But uh, we talked about that the other day, uh, talking about the dual fulfillment. Because of that, God cursed him, and he had to go on his belly. I. I personally think serpents at one time had legs and God took them away and now they slither and it's creepy and be, and because they're creepy, we're all freaked out by them. And what do we do when we want to see, when we see them, we kill them. Why? That's part of their curse too. There was a physical purpose for that there too and a spiritual application we made there too so right there the fall of man that's how it all started and thankfully we know how it ends jesus christ paid for sin jesus christ can clothe us even though we have the knowledge of good and evil even though we are fallen people too jesus christ has provided a way of redemption all we need to do is put our faith and trust in him and one of these days paradise is going to be restored and I'm looking forward to that. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. I pray you'll help us to learn from these things and uh, these principles that you, uh, put, you put in your word. Lord, we do thank you for providing salvation for us. Lord, it's amazing how immediately, Lord, you provided a way of salvation. You put a picture of salvation right immediately, right when man sinned, Lord, just shows that you've uh, always loved us and that grace has always been around. Uh, and we, we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and sing one more song.